Welcome to Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode I sit down with a member of the water polo community to speak with them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sat down with Jack Coker, the head boys and girls water polo coach at Oaks Christian High School. If you enjoyed the episode, do me a favor, leave a five-star review or share it with your friends. And if you want to support the show, you can go to offthedeckpodcast.com and donate to the program. Thank you very much. All right. I'm sitting here at Orange Lutheran High School uh, on the phone with uh, the current Oaks Christian High School uh, head coach, Jack Coker, uh, also formerly um, on the national team staff, Olympic staff. Uh, Pepperdine, USC, a uh, lot of great places, a lot of great experiences. So, Jack, thank you uh, very much for being on the program. Steve, thanks for having me. And, I, and again, I what you're doing here for sport and, and getting people on this line and talking to them about their past and their history of coaching is just a great opportunity and great pl- a pl- platform that we need more of. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, so we go back uh, quite a ways and, um, you know, kind of starting – uh, coaching college and things like that around the same time. I mean, I remember yeah. I, I actually, I've never gotten a chance to say this, but you were actually the first big school when you were at Pepperdine that gave me an opportunity um, at Concordia to play you guys. And so I never actually thanked you for that, but. Um, well, those are scary moments for my program, <laughs> everybody else's program. The, uh, the teams that you put in the water, uh, you had some great teams that you put together in, uh, there was definitely you put a lot of fear in our college coaches, especially the D1 program. Yeah, no, I was really always anxious for the opportunity. So thank you for being the first. Um, and so I, I wanted to just start off uh, quickly on how you get how you got started in coaching water polo. Yeah, I think I got started basically enjoying the summer camps at Malibu, um, helping out with the water polo camps that they had there, and then it kind of just manifested itself into. Uh, exploring a little bit more. And then I was kind of an assistant coach. I was like a player volunteer kind of coach for Pepperdine. And I really dug it my redshirt year. My senior, my redshirt year is I um, I kind of dived into a little bit more of the player coach in the water, kind of mentoring some of the younger players. <clears throat> and it, it just felt natural to me. And, you know, I wanted to explore those. And, you know, the first coaching job that I really got was Harvard Westlake. I was, um, Rich Corso gave me an opportunity to be his assistant he gave me a PE teaching job at the middle school. I mean, I was set at, at such a young age. I think I was probably 20. I mean, I could have stayed there and retired there for what kind of set up he set for me. Um, but there was uh, an itching in me uh, that wanted to continue playing. I was kind of going in and out of playing uh, with the national team all the way through, through 2002, I think it was, with Ricardo. And then after that, uh, I landed at Pepperdine full-time when, um, unfortunately, the, the assistant coach there moved on to another position, Jim McMillan, which is a great coach, good mentor of mine back in the day. And Pepperdine kind of opened up the the opportunities that kind of just fell into my lap at that moment in time. And um, I'm very blessed to be given those rare moments of opportunity in such a high level of coaching at such a young, young time in my life. Yeah. And I, I remember those, uh, those Pepperdine teams, you guys were like right on the right on the edge, right on the brink of really, uh, cracking through. Um, and you had some great players. Adam, Adam Huco was one that I, I just remember fondly because of how amazing his high school career was and how good of a player he was. Um, 
you can go back to 2002. I think it was Alex and I's Alex Rodriguez and I's first year as assistant coach with Terry. Uh, we went MP, went to the MPSF finals with Jesse Smith, Greg Lonzo, uh, Carl Niehaus, Mike Soltis in the cage, and we lost to Cal in one one goal. I mean that was that was probably my first like wow this is this is awesome. I got to, I got to stay with this. This is great. We can make something happen here at Pepperdine. Yeah. And I mean, you know, not sort of jumping back to your playing days, you know, you are on that 1997 team that was able to win the NC2A championship. Correct. Yes. Yeah. That was the, um, that was a, a great year full of emotion and great, great opportunity with the players that we had. You know, we had guys like Alan Herman, who should have been a two-time, three-time Olympian during that time. Uh, unfortunately, his family uh, responsibilities kicked in there. We had Jeremy Pope, Merrill Moses in the cage, Alex Rodriguez on that team. I mean, we had some phenomenal players that, you know, if you look back at the history of our sport, 50 years ago was our first year of, of an NCAA cha- uh, championship in 69. Or was it 60 years now? Jeez. Um, there's only been three teams that have won it outside of Pac-12. Uh, and so being being part of that is, is very unique and it's very uh, – it's memorable for me and my, my team. I mean, that's – I mean, you're – that's legendary to be able to say that you guys won in that year. And, you know, guys like Jeremy Pope, Alan Herman, if I remember correctly because – they were the years that I was playing. I was playing at the same time. They were community college guys that transferred in and, and were given an opportunity. Is that I, I'm sure yeah, Jeremy so we, Pope was. I can't remember. Jeremy Pope was. Jeremy Pope was. Uh, Alex Rodriguez was. Andy Berninga was. Brian McAllister. Uh, so we had we had three or four junior college guys that you know again back in the day that was kind of a norm where guys could go to JC and then make make a great impact yeah. after JC programs. Uh, so yeah, we we had a we had a great nucleus, a great team that really believed in their role and their responsibilities, and we, endless amounts of team meetings and and player meetings, and it just it it unfolded the right direction for us. What do you remember the most about that final game or leading into that final game? Was there anything that the coach said, um, you know, Schroeder said to you guys that? Yeah just stuck out and, and you'll never forget and probably something that you repeat to this day? You know, one one thing that kind of stuck out was it was not so much uh, a word or a, a, you know, a speech or something that Terry did. It was more of a, an overall feeling. Uh, he made us, made us feel part of a family. Uh, he made us, he's a great mentor for young men to do the right thing in life. And I think that really stuck into all of us. We had a, we had a guy named Brian McAllister who, you know, he would always, you know, tell us in the middle of big moments and big games, Hey, stop, stop and take a look around you and see what's going on. Like stop the moment, freeze the moment experience, like really truly believe in what you're experiencing in that moment in time. Um, and that was, that was being implemented down from the leadership of Terry, you know, believing that we're here for each other. This is only a, a moment in our, a small moment in our whole life and, uh, we better live up to it. Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting perspective because I've used that you know, enjoy the moment type of mentality. And you hear like yeah. professional athletes being interviewed, you know, after they win the world series or the super bowl, they, a lot of them have that same mindset of just yeah. trying to enjoy what is actually happening in front of them. So that's really cool. And I'd like to get back to, um, later on, I'd like to talk a little sure. bit about the community college and what you said about, you know, back then it was totally acceptable because I was that guy. 
Um, right. And and so I'd like to touch on that a little bit because it sort of is becoming a lost pool of players that that are hanging out there. Um, but really? before we do that, I wanted to ask, you know, what are your um, what are your overall feelings about water polo right now? Um, you know, high school, maybe a little collegiate, you know, being on, yeah. on both ends and then also maybe leaning into the USA thing. You know, I, I, I like what's happening. I, I, I do see some really quality things that we're trying to accomplish with the new rules, trying to make the game a little quicker, faster speed with uh, skill sets. I think the game is going to be evolving in that aspect. I think it's going to try to get away. We're trying to get away from the, the physicality, the big man physicality mindset of just sit there and, and muscle your way through things. Yeah. Uh, so I do enjoy the moment of where the top people are trying to trying to execute that. Uh you know, I, I got to hand, hand it out to uh, Abdu and USA Water Polo for, for helping and facilitating the championship for Division Three. It, it has secured my career in coaching. Um, just that alone is going to allow the, you know, the domestic U.S. Uh, to continue to grow. More colleges will pick up on it. Uh, and our athletes are going to be, our high school athletes are going to need a place to go. So I'm very uh, thankful for them of putting that time in and, and convincing those colleges and that NCAA is to figure that out. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'm very, I'm positive with it. I really am. You know, you ask, you ask three different levels. You know, there's the college game, the USA, and the high school. And I think in each one is, it's got its positives and negatives. You know, I think in high school, I really, really do appreciate the CIF for, for them changing this format of uh, changing the divisions, putting one and two together and, and really fighting for that top eight. Is it, is it perfect? No. Um, but I definitely, you know, I, I didn't get a chance to coach high school back when you were stuck in a division for two years yeah. uh, or, you know, you were, you were in a division because of the size of your school. So I wasn't a, around during that time. Um, but I do see some really good positive things teams are in their divisions that they deserve to be in their divisions. You know, obviously one or two when they lose a big senior class, you know, probably shouldn't be there. Um, so we got to figure that out. But I do believe that high school is trying to make it a competitive arena for every division. Uh, so that's a positiveness for this. Um, you know, you look at college water pool. Uh, I got mixed emotions for, you know, breaking up the MPSF. Uh, you know, I think what gave us at Pepperdine an opportunity to compete was because, you know, guys like Grant Miller, Hugo, like you mentioned, uh, they came to us wanting to compete at the MPSF uh, and giving us an opportunity to, to be the best, uh, not just be the best in our own small league or division or conference, but to actually be the best of the best. So I, I have a mixed emotion there. I understand why the schools broke up because, you know, now it gives them a, a birth to, into the NCAA's, I know administrators at colleges are really in, involved in that. They like to see that they, their teams have an opportunity, um, and then it also gives a, a team like UOP, Pepperdine, Long Beach, UCI, even UC Davis, all at San Diego. Look at San Diego. Come on, right? Yeah. yeah. How great is San Diego doing right now? I'm so proud of them for changing it up. But you got one game in you. Do you have one game in you? All right, let's go to it instead of having this longevity of a year for these teams. So there's a give and take for the reasons for what they're doing now. And so, like, I was going to ask you about that GCC and how you felt about that. And, I mean, you kind of touched on it here. But, you know, you obviously have a different perspective because you had to go through everyone. You know, as a player, you had to go through everyone to win that national championship. And, I mean, it's a Hall of Fame it's a it's a Hall of Fame legendary team that because you were able to do that. Same with UC Santa yeah. Barbara or UCI. Right. 
Um, right. But now with the new GCC, you know, you're you're sort of I, I could see how some people would say, well, you know, it's not like it was. But I, I have the same sort of um, I could say the same thing about high school. You know, when I was at Northwood High School coaching with Randy Wright, uh, you know, in the first couple of years, we should have been division seven or division six, right. you know, and, and, stuck. and we're stuck in D one playing long beach Wilson who had won 10, cha- you know, championships in a row, you know, so it's tough, it, but I'm, I'm really glad though, that they have changed the high school the way it is. I do think it's in the long term, it's, it's better. It's the better I agree. way to go. Strongly, um, strongly. Um, but so how about, you know, Team USA. I mean, you were able, you know, to work your way up and um, you were on that you were on that staff and you still are working with the national teams. And, you know, I know you were coaching uh, ODP, um, one of the all star teams, I believe. And so what was that experience like? I know that's a very broad question, but I mean, what was that experience like? It was something I've always been wanting to do in my life. to be part of the U.S. and represent the U.S. in in any in any capacity, you know, I had, a, I had my best friend growing up, and who I got started playing the sport was Jimmy Torrey. And back in the day, when we were about eight and nine years old, we we had a an idol is is um, I'm gonna sorry I'm gonna go long winded here because I, I need to bring in Jimmy in this. Please. Um, he we had a SGRD was our favorite player, and growing up, we said to ourselves, we made a pact to ourselves, like, hey, we're our goal is to be Olympians together. Um, you know, we all know unfortunate events have happened in, in Jimmy's life, and I didn't want to let that dream go go to the wayside. Uh, you know, unfortunately, as a player, I, I didn't get to match that um, goal of mine of being an Olympian as a player due to circumstances, immaturity, injuries, whatever whatever I want to point at to. Um, so I wanted to chase it as a coach, and I'm blessed with the people that have been mentors of me. I'm blessed to have the small opportunities that – I, you know, I try to prove myself that I'm worthy of being part of those staffs. I, you know, from Terry giving me the opportunity to be the scouting coach in 2012, uh, you know, I think that was a turning point for me, um, not being able to be part of Pepperdine anymore. And then going into that, uh, it really opened up this massive window for me. Uh, being the scouting coach in 2012, I'm like, wow, this is, I'm fulfilling a dream here. And then, Jovan picking me up the very next year when he was an intern coach. Uh, and then from there, moving into a day on. And, and not only being that scouting coach, but now being on the bench. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a dream that I've been trying to work for for a long time. I, there's a lot of people i got to thank for for putting me in that position. But I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I, and everything that, that's been in my future now, moving forward, has a lot to do with the lessons I learned during those times. Yeah. And I, I want to dig into that a little bit. And um... – you know, I will say that the the. I mean, is Jim Touring the greatest player who ever played in the, for the USA? <laughs> I mean, seriously, is he? Man, it, it it is an argument that I will I will sit by any table right now and discuss. I mean, the guy was what shoots uh, eighteen, seventeen years old, scoring five goals against Hungary. Yeah, come on. Yeah, I mean, so, I know I know Tony. I know Tony's has his has his uh, his wonderful career. Uh, I would have loved, and Tony right now is definitely our icon of our, our USA water pool, and, and along with Terry and some other players, and I don't want to leave anybody out, but I wish Jimmy had the opportunity to to, uh, to match or to uh, to stretch anybody else's imagination on who's the best player. Yeah, I mean, I he was a legend just 
I looked up to him growing up. I was four years younger than him, I believe. Yeah. And so the greatest high school game I ever went to was Harvard Westlake versus El Toro at Belmont yeah. Plaza. Oh yeah. And I, and that, you know, El Toro ended up winning. John Simmons ended yep. up scoring the game winning goal. I remember, and it's on the podcast with Don Stahl. He talks about it, yep. but I got a chance to watch him play at UCLA with uh, Randy Wright, Adam Wright's yeah. brother. And and I grew up playing with Adam, you know, like we'd see each other at camps and things like that. We're about the same age, but Randy always used to tell me that Jimmy was the best. Like there's no one that could ever, ever compare to him. And the upside, his ceiling was basically, it was untouchable. The, the development, the the potential was just unmatched. You know, he had, he had it. He had the length, he had the body, he had the intelligence, he had the, the, the swagger that you got to have when you're at that level, um, the confidence. And you know, to be honest, I mean, he was still in a body of eight, 17 year, 18, 19 year old kid. I mean, even 21 kid just graduating from college. He never even got the chance to even play at his max potential. I mean, it would have been amazing to see or the opportunity to see a guy like that play. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you opening up about that. I know it's probably still difficult to this day, um, but you know, heading going back to um, the, the your national team experience. Yep. Is there a couple of things that you picked up um, on the bench that you are? I'm sure yep. there's a hundred things, but are there a couple things that you picked up? New things that you're implementing in your coaching now? Um, you know, coaching at Oaks Christian. Yeah, you know. The biggest thing that I recognize being in the 2012 Olympics is, you know, I got a chance to see the Olympics from a distance. I was up in the stands filming and, and really analyzing different coaches' styles, different program styles, the warm-ups, the, the watching the athlete prepare themselves for battle. Uh, and then, and then, you, then you get the chance to watch them in their practices right before the games or in the village and how the professionalism just is it's, – it's everywhere. It's around you. It's not only – it's not only in your sport, it's in every sport that you come encompass with in the, the Olympic Village. Um, I think some of the things that I've really taken from it was analyzing video, really breaking it down, understanding the different points of movement, um, not only just breaking it down from the tactics like, hey, yeah, they run this or they run that. No, how are they running that? What is triggering them to run this position? Why is this player moving to point A to point B? At what moment is he moving there? Um, that's really kind of what my mind just started taking off in. And so that the preparation of it, the scouting reports and all that stuff from 2012 all the way through 2016 is, has really been an eye-opener for me and, and the future of my career, um, with, not only with Oaks Christian, but really what's itching me to do is to help USA Water Polo young coaches to to really start diving into a little bit more. So I, the next thing I think in 2016 is the management of players. You know, you have these high-level athletes that are truly, truly professionals, and then how do you manage them? How do you manage them at the age of 17, 16, 22? And then you got, you got guys that are, have kids and married, I mean, 33, 34. So the management side of it um, – the player player evaluation, the the player emotional evaluation, the player life, what what's going on in their life, um, was definitely another thing that I learned tremendously in the last quadrum of 2016. Did you did you have a say? Um, obviously, Dayon makes the ultimate decision. Did you have a say uh, in some of the players that you felt were ready for the Olympic roster in 2016? 
Is that part of what Absolutely. you do? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, you definitely have an opinion. You, you you voice your opinion on some players versus other players. You voice your opinion on what's the – got to remember, what's the – What's the long purpose goal? What is our future goal? Is it is it technically right now, you know, in a team that that is basically revamping nine new players? Are we are we going for it gold right now, or are we going for the gold in in the next quadrant or the following quadrant? Um, so that those player conversations not just has to do with what's going to give us the best opportunity right now, but what's the next eight years? What's the twelve years? Uh, especially with the circumstances we had, you know, we went from a team that was together for majority players were together for three years. Yeah. Um, it was a building time. It was a building career, uh, opportunity for USA water pool to back and support. And, you know, well, there's a lot of naysayers out there. There's, I would have done this, or I would have taken this player. I would have done that with this guy. And, and, but guys, come on, let's look at hungry, right? Hungry dominated the game for four, four Olympics, right? As soon as all those guys retired, where are they now? Yeah. I don't hear people re- referring to what Hungary has done versus what we're doing. You know, let's put let's compare the apples to apples. If Hungary graduated all those or retired all those players and then got sixth in the next Olympics, just like very similar to the U.S., you know, there's a common denominator that you need experience. You need you need guys that have been around a long time. You just can't show up and have players, young players, be successful. So I appreciate the naysayers, but reality has got to also kick in. Yeah, I mean, you guys are in a tough position. I mean, I think every – uh, everybody had an opinion, you know, obviously everybody's going to throw their two cents into it. Um, and the coaches are always to blame. Obviously (laughs) we all, we always get the blame if we lose. Um, and the players get all the credit when they win. So we're sort of in a lose, lose (laughs) situation, but, um, you know, looking back, makes it so great though, to be honest, I love it that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but looking back and reflecting on, on that, on that roster, Um, And, you know, obviously it's impossible to call out like individual players or whatever. Right. Right. Do you think, do you think you guys made the right decision with the players that were there or do you still kind of go, uh, I I wish we would have maybe done this or that? Sure. Sure. I think you always second guess yourself, especially when you, when you don't win or you don't reach the expectation that you wanted to reach in that moment in time, you're always going to evaluate and, and go back and say, okay, could I have done this? Would I, would I taken this player? How could I have developed this player a little bit better? Um, I, I think that's common sense in a coaching career whenever you don't do well. Um, so to ask that question, do you think we did the right thing? Again, you know, our, our purpose and our goal of day on in USA Water Polo was to have four years to be better, put ourselves in a position so that the following four years we have veteran athletes, veteran Olympians uh, to do better, to, to, to yeah. be top four, top five. Um, that was the vision since day one that we were all hired in 2013. And I hope people can still recognize that. And I don't think they do, but they should. Yeah. Um, and the other goal was to have nine returners. You know, you look at the four four uh, veterans that we had, four Olympians that we had prior to, and nine new players. Our goal is to keep all nine, not just say, "Hey, one timers, you're out." Yeah. You know, that's yeah. we you, you can't survive in the international water polo arena with having uh, rookie uh, first time Olympians. It's just it's impossible. Yeah. Um, look at the longevity of every national team, uh, the success from the Serbians, the Yugoslavians, the Hungarians. It's because they have a longevity of their players playing multiple Olympics. Um, So to ask me, like, do we make a mistake? Yeah, we're always going to question ourselves. But if if we were able to keep those nine guys into the next Olympics and then we didn't succeed, 
then I think people can have stand on their box and say, Hey, I would have done this. You would have done that. And then we would have, to, we would have to eat some of our, our decisions. Yeah. So you're still pretty confident in what, what could hopefully happen, you know, coming up and, yeah, I mean, I, well, I mean, we're, we're we're not so much. I mean, I'm I'm confident in the in the process. Um, I'm discouraged in some of the players that the nine guys that we had are no longer. I hey, I understand why. Yeah, why they're not playing anymore. What's the reasoning for it? You know, our, we've got to do something different in our sport to keep the longevity of a 22, 24, 25 year old guy that he hasn't even reached his maturity yet. Yeah. His, physical maturity at 28 to 32 we've got to figure this out and if we if we don't the naysayers can go away they don't they're just charlie brown teacher right now to me because what i'm understanding is that we're not keeping these athletes long enough to actually be successful the writing's on the wall in 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 beijing we got a silver great athletes great guys played with each other for over 16 12 years yeah you can't match that i mean this is impossible We have to match it if we want to be successful yeah. again. No, I'm and saying again, like you couldn't have done that in 2016 because you didn't have that that longevity like you're talking about. You didn't yeah. have a team that had been playing for so long and gone through the struggles like they did in 2004. Yeah. You know, they obviously right. went through a tough time in 2004. And then all of a sudden, 2008, they come back. The majority of the team comes back. They replace right. a couple pieces or whatever it might be, lose some to injury. And then they have a silver medal, you know, and so it's 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 pretty clear, you know, I mean, obviously, that's why we're playing some of the younger guys are even on our high school team, because you see the future. Um, yeah. I think the one uh, the one thing that I think you'll hear is or one thing that I'll say is what's unfortunate, like you said, is that the team that was set to be in, you know, the next sort of generation, some of those guys are not playing anymore for whatever reason they're not. And it's almost like you have to start all over, but everybody doesn't want to start over. You know, everyone's like, no, well, you said this one was the young Olympics. So now this one is not. So it's like, but, you know, and, and just, I want to touch on one more point. Um, You said, you know, you, you, you laid out two goals, you know, like I want to keep the nine players. And that was one of the goals. Would it be helpful moving forward for without giving up any sort of, you know, too much information because the coach needs to be accountable sort of to himself and his superior, not to the fans. I mean, we shouldn't have a say in any of that, obviously, but do you think that would have helped the quote unquote naysayers from like kind of calming down a little bit by saying, Hey, look guys, like this is why we're picking this group because we want this to happen. Or do you think it's just better to like, just, you know, keep that strategy oh, I mean, in the drawer? Not at all. You know, over communication is always the success for, for uh, openness and, and understanding of future goals and plans. I mean, can you always, can you, could we have done a better job of communicating to the public or USA water pool doing a better job? Of course, um, but the, at the end of the day, you, you, we're going to have the people that, even if we do do that, which we did, uh, are not going to hear it. They're not going to want to listen to it, and we can't control that. We can't. We can't control that. We can only control what we can control, um, and move forward with it. Yeah. And look at here. You know, the state of USA water polo, I think, is is definitely on the uprise. You look at uh, Nikolai's team that took. I think it was a cadet team went to Serbia last year. We finally, you know, under, under our eyes, we finally had a chance to bring the best of the best of one age group and they went seven and zero. I mean, they won the tournament. 
Uh, when was the last time we did something like that? Yeah. You know, being able to bring the best of the best at each age group. That's another thing where we're hurting ourselves because we're not being able to give in the opportunity to these coaches. You know, you look at Brett Ornsby right now. He's a junior team coach. Is he going to get the best of the best? Are we going to give him a fair chance to do the best that he can? Or are there going to be hidden agendas with college coaches, club coaches that, you know, don't, don't put in the ear of those kids, hey, this is a great opportunity. This is great. This is, you're representing your country and your age yeah. group. Come on, man. Yeah, that's really, that's really a tough, tough thing because I had two players, and you had a player um, yeah. at Oaks Christian, like Hunnis Bay and Ash Moulton were basically playing for three different age groups at one point. Yeah, and absolutely. So what I, what I would always talk about with them and, you know, something that I kind of I'm, – I'm, I hope – I hope I'm not offending anybody, but I have to say it because it's been on my mind for so long. It's like, look, if you make the NBA, why are you going to put me in the development league? So I guess my point is this. If Hunnis is good enough and Ash is good enough to play on the senior team, why are you even putting him at the junior team level? Why why don't you just keep him at senior for everything? Yeah. <clears throat> do you do you agree with that or you disagree? Well, you think you should keep yeah, him down? The- well, here, here's here's a couple things to that, and, and a lot of club coaches. And let's let's go to some club coaches that might be listening, and high school coaches that might be listening too, because I think this is a good conversation. You know, you have these young, Hannes DeBay, uh, Hash, Earhart. You know, you can keep going down the line. Marco Vavich. You know, these '99 groups, last 2000 group. Are they good enough to play with the senior teams? Yes, because there's vacancies. Not to say they're not good. They are great enough to be able to future Olympians. But at the same time, when you're so young playing so many levels up, you don't actually play the level that you should be playing at your own level. Um, and there's this learning curve that these kids, and Iconis, he needs to go to the junior team level and freaking dominate. He should be scoring five goals a game. He should be dominating the game at that level if he is a senior athlete. So we have to give these kids an opportunity to understand, hey, this is my age group. I'm supposed to be the best of the best in the water right now. Not playing at the senior level going, okay, I'm a pecking order. I got to move more in the offense. I got I to gotta create a little bit more for Tony or Luca. Or, yeah. You know, the dynamics of it, right? So, you know, you got a 12-year-old kid. You got a 12-year-old kid that can play 14s or a 14-year-old kid that can play 16s. Don't always put him up at the 16s. Let him come down and dominate his age group. Yeah. I Let mean, build the confidence and that it, he – And I think, I I mean, honestly, I think I'm, I agree with you, you know, like what, what I guess what I'm saying is that like, why not just make a decision? Why not just say like, Hey, you're really good. You're good enough to be an Olympian, but you're going to train with the junior team year round. We're going to give the junior team coach an opportunity to like coach you and not just meet me in Serbia and have a practice. And then let's go out and try and win. Like without a doubt, I think that's that's so frustrating, but that's not the senior team. Uh, that's not the, at fault to the senior team coaches or, or the projection of a coaching to an athlete. This is the calendar. Gotcha. This is this is college coaches. This is high school coaches. This is our kids are playing for four different organizations, four different clubs, four different programs, and they're being pulled at the string at every limb. Yeah. You know, we're not helping ourselves with that. We're we're <clears throat> college coaches. They want summertime training because their fall is going to impact their career and their livelihood and their family putting food on the table. College coaches are invested in those athletes. So there's a give and take there. I mean, if we change, you know, this is a question I know that will come and we got to change the calendar. And I know Dayon, since he's got here, has been asking to change the calendar, the calendar of the seasons of events of water pool. Men's water pool should for college should be in the spring. That gives everybody an opportunity to train with their national team and development for their senior team levels of their age group in the summertime with no conflicts. 
Why is J.O. so late in July? Should be at the early of May, maybe, maybe the first week of June. Yeah. Allow these athletes to train, like you said. So Brett, so Brett Ormsby, Brian Flax, and Nikolai can actually have more training with the coaches. Yeah, I mean, I mean you, you put so much, the public puts so much on their on their shoulders for the success. And I can tell <laughs> for you. two weeks of coaching. Yeah, <laughs> they literally coach them for two weeks. Like, it's like, how can you even expect res, like success at that at that it, level? And it frustrates the players. It, it you know, like some guys don't even know where they're going to be. Am I going to be here? Is that guy coming? You know, and going back to the earlier point of, you know, longevity and keeping teams together. Well, shoot, if you had the junior team from, you know, Earhart, Hunnis, Ash, and all the guys down the line, if, if they were still playing together, I mean, that would be a pretty phenomenal chance at a, a really good Olympic team because now you Without have that, doubt. you know? And so I don't know, I, I get the calendar and, and I, you know, as much as I, I buy that, cause I do agree that there's a lot of things on top of each other. I also think that it has to come down to someone saying you're on the junior team. That's it. I'm not going to call you up. I'm not going to move you down. You're going to just focus on this for this year. And like you said, you're going to dominate this age group. I think that would be probably better. And it's going to give other people opportunities because if I'm 25 and I see Hunnis or Ash coming up or Earhart coming up or Marko Vavich coming up, I'm thinking to myself, shoot, like, do I really have a chance at this? Because these yeah. guys are younger and, and they're good and they don't have, you know, they don't have to work <laughs> right now. They're just I, hanging out, you know? So I, I, I think you, the calendar helps you what you're saying. If you don't change the calendar, you cannot do what you're saying. Uh, for the, here's the reason why the junior team doesn't practice enough during the year because they don't have opportunities to do it because of the college coaches have their practices. I'm not pointing the blame. I'm just pointing the facts. Yeah. yeah. There, the other thing is if, if we change the calendar and we allow the, the junior team to coach as players, then you can say, Hey, the junior team's practicing 45 days in the summertime prior to going on a trip. So if that's the case, then yes, you're going to go train. But the problem is they don't have that opportunity. They only have one weekend training camp, a week here. So how am I going to get Hannes and these other players? So I keep, keep saying the same players, but yeah. there's a lot more players in the pipeline. How am I going to get them more opportunities? Well, let's go, let's bring them to the senior team because this is the only team that's actually getting an opportunity to play right now or practice right now. So there's, there's, no, there's no advantage for them to practice with the junior because it's not being offered to them. Yeah. And again, this is, I'm not casting any blame. I'm just stating what the situation is. Well, and I want to win JOs. Like, so if I want to win JOs, you got to be at practice. How could we win if you're not there? So that's the, the, again, I guess it does reinforce your point about the calendar, because if you do JOs early, then they have the entire summer. And then at exactly. the middle of August, they're tra they're going to Serbia for whatever tournament and they're, they're kicking butt, you know? So, I mean, that, that's it's tough. I mean, it's it's really really tough. I, there's so much on top of each other, and I would I would be very much for moving one season to the spring, preferably a girls' water polo to the spring. But yeah, I'm talking high school. So, um, Absolutely. really really um, important conversation. And you know, I I mentioned in an earlier episode with James Graham um, about bringing him in to have like another discussion uh, about something else about the advantage rule and bring yeah. in a referee. I, I, I think I would love, <laughs> he's, he's obsessed with the, the advantage rule. He's really passionate about it. Um, I think I would be very much in favor of if you would be up for it, um, bringing you in 
with a couple other people to talk about the calendar right. and things like that. I think that would be a really important discussion to have. So we'll we'll Absolutely. set that up. And but I wanted to to go back to um, talking about you. Sure. <laughs> um, so you know, being uh, having been able to scout, like you said, in 2012, and then being on the bench and seeing all these different types of players coaching at almost every single level. Um, what similarities are you seeing with successful players that translates through age groups all the way through yeah. to the national team? You know, one of the, one of the biggest and f- biggest things that I always try to look for or see or common denominator between all the great players is their, is their passion and love for the sport. Uh, with all aspects, all elements of the sport. I'm talking about the training, the weight room, the the swimming side, the the skill set, the playing side. Obviously, everybody loves when they if they had the same passion for when the coach says, "Hey, we're doing six man today," as they did, "Hey, we're doing 22s today." <laughs> that player is going to set himself aside, and those are the players that usually are the best ones across the board. Um, my other one is the willingness. The common denominator between successful players at all levels is the willingness to be self-motivated, and you know how do you how do you define that? I, to me, it's hard working when nobody's watching. You know, I, I have so many athletes in my club or my high school, uh, all hide in the the bleachers during swim season or wherever you know off-season practices, and I can watch guys that just don't take it. They're not going hard, and as soon as I walk on deck, <laughs> they go up about twenty, thirty percent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm like. Okay, you're you're going to meet an average person, average player with that mentality of life. Um, so the willingness to be self motivated, then, you know, the one, the one thing that truly then is the X factor in my mindset because there's a lot of guys that have passion. There's a lot of guys that are self motivated. Um, the, the next thing is, and this doesn't have to limit your athleticism. This is knowledge and your vision of the game. Uh, if you you look at a, you know, we have this national league coming up, right? We got these guys that are going to be more out of shape than the college guys that they're playing against, more out of shape than the high school slash national teams are going to be playing against. But yet, why is the score to to the alumni guys or to the older guys, the master teams, is because of their knowledge of the game. They know where to be, where they're supposed to be before the play actually gets to that moment. Uh, so the vision and knowledge of the game is, is to me, by far more important than the skill set and the athleticism. Yeah. You and, can make up. For it. And how are you, you know, what's something that you think would be a good advice for, you know, someone who's coaching a younger, younger levels to help, yeah. to help bring that sort of vision out? What, what can they do? I mean, besides the obvious of like watching a lot of polo and things like that, but is there anything else that you would recommend that, that they would do? You know, I, I would be shocked to hear how many 12 U's, 14 U's, 16 U club programs are watching video with their athletes. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked to hear that very, very little are actually doing that. Um, there's a there's a website out there right now. I can't excuse me for not knowing. It's about cognitive learning. Uh, our jet pilots, the best pilots in the world, are do these cognitive tests on on the computer. And there's a there's a company right now that is specializing for soccer and hockey. And they sit down for 30 minutes a day. They do this like it's almost like you know a game, a video game. But they're learning how to understand space. They're learning how to use movement, how to be advantage, the advantage rule that you're talking about, yeah. how, to, how to create opportunities inside small areas. This has to, if we want to catch up to the rest of the world in water polo IQ, we've got to start implementing the cognitive learning on the computer, video, 
and all that stuff, and then implement it into the game, into your practices. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good advice. And we, it's tough because everyone's always limited, and sometimes facilities. But when you can make time right. for it, sending a link, it goes a long way. So, um, so I want to I want to go to that point. You know, I yeah, I've hear a lot of young coaches, well, or the you know, programs say, well, I don't have that. I don't have that resource. You know, hey. <laughs> you got to figure it out how how much are you invested in your athletes how much that's not an excuse you can't use that i don't have it you got to make it you got to find it you got to create it there's parents out there people there's parents out there that are willing to support you in that avenue or hey you can use my house hey here's a tv Harry, are you gonna be lazy about it or are you gonna actually do it for your athletes yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, we have iPads and tablets and everything else. We have phones that we can pull thing up, things up and have them gather around and just watch a quick clip. You know, it doesn't have to be a big exactly. production. Exactly. So, um, you know, I, I, I love that. And, and I think, you know, you've been really, I guess, like you mentioned earlier, since 2012, you know, been breaking down a lot of video. And, um, you know, is there is that the one thing that you see that has been translating through is, is just that vision or is there a physical skill that you see that also is um, translating through? I mean, you have, you have, for sure. a, you have a young kid who's playing 12 and unders. Yeah. You know, I have a yeah. young kid who's playing 12 and under. So, you know, without giving your, you know, fatherly secrets and all these other things, but you know, like what are you teaching your kid? What is it that, what is a skill yeah. that you're teaching your kid that it's like, dude, if you do this, you're going to be fine. You know, you're going to be good. And, and look, I, I will say I coached against him. You weren't there. I know you had a conflict, but I could tell your kid is passionate about it. He has yeah, fun he doing it. it. He loves it. I like shook his hand and I'm like, dude, you're awesome. Tell your dad. I said, hi. Like, I, I mean, he, he definitely yeah. wants to be there. Um, and he so you, that part of it is already taken care of. You know, he's probably been on a bench his almost yeah. his whole life. So what, just like your kid, right? Yeah, just like my kid. I mean, I, I think their vision is a little bit more advanced because they've seen so yeah. many situations already, but not everybody has that advantage. So what are you telling him? Absolutely. So, you know, one thing that we focus on, you know, not just my son, but the whole everybody that we try to come in compass, com- contact with is, is body and movement awareness. Um, and I, you can't say a skill. It, it, that is that alone in itself is a skill. You have to be able to understand your body in the water, be able to be movement in the horizontal, vertical, you know, the forty-five degree angle. How does your breaststroke kick connected with your egg beater to your short kick to your long breaststroke kick? I mean, all these type of movements need to be implemented in your practice plans. You, you can't just go, hey, swim, swim forty-five minutes, get the ball and start. You got to really fine-tune the, the body movement and awareness. And then um, we really harp on a lot of horizontal vertical stuff. Uh, You know, the biggest thing that I see nowadays, we don't have swimmers coming up anymore. So they're not aware of the water. Uh, They're, they're, I call it, they're killing the water. I mean, I don't know how many times our kids strike the water so forcefully and so hard, and they're almost like going against their self, their their own leverage in the water. Uh, So we do a lot of horizontal vertical stuff, getting them vertical, getting them back horizontally. How do they kick and and stuff like that? Fast twitch, you know, our bodies are all different, but I do believe uh, we've had so many arguments with different coaches and stuff like this, but you can teach, you can train fast twitch into an athlete. Each athlete has its limits of what they're going to absorb and what they can absorb. But a lot of that, I love it is because 
you got to start focusing on the core, especially longer kids, right? Their core can't manage their limbs to allow them to be fast twitch. So we do a lot of core work in our exercises and our practices and our dry land stuff because um, it's a correlation straight into the, the limb strength and the fast twitch strength. Um, so those are the kind of things we really focus on. And then obviously the vertical game. The vertical game is when the ball's in your hand or you're ready to shoot and pass and all that stuff and the texture and how you have touch and versus are you shooting the ball at your partner. So those kind of things we really emphasize in our uh, daily practices for all of our level, levels. And I, I have um, – this is a good, good thing is that literally with the national team for the last eight, six years, six years, uh, we have done fundamental drills that my 12Us do now, that my 10Us do now. And a lot of coaches say, well, that's too advanced for them. Well, who, who's to say that? Why are we limiting their opportunity to learn? It's mind-boggling to me. Like, well, a national team, that's too, we got to dumb it down. Why? Why are we dumbing it down? Yeah. Um, so we got to challenge the mindsets, the open mindset of it all too. Yeah, and I mean, I think, you know, I, I sort of agree with you. My, I, I'm coaching 12s, and we're doing some drills that my high school varsity team, even my college teams did. Yeah, it's not, it's not as intense, of course. It's not right, as, right. you know, amazing, but right. they're going to do those drills later on in life. So it would be way better to know it now and, and break it down than to not. I mean, yeah, I, w- I would I would definitely agree with you on that. So and, um, and, and that goes back to the other way, too, is high school kids need to realize that, hey, I need to do a drill that a 10U and a 12U did. I'm not above this or I'm an Olympian still doing reverse school, giving water to a lunch, you know, like these are everyday practices. You go back to John Wooden fundamentals. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Don't fundamentals just because your, your kid is not, can't keep the attention for that long. Well, do the drill for two minutes instead of 10 minutes, be more engaging in the drill. You know, I, I'm sorry. I'm no, no. It. I mean, I, I think it's, it's sort of that, that culture of I got to win. You know, I, I, yeah. I got to win to pay the bills. Like if I don't win yeah. my club's not the best, then I don't get the members and then I don't get the money. And then, you know, exactly. like some of us are in a different position. Some of us are, you know, teaching or we we're coaching full time at sure. our institutions or whatever. And sure. so the, the club isn't the club win isn't like make or break, you know, live right. or die, you know. And so there's there's that different mentality and neither of them are wrong. I just, you know, I think there's a difference between developing a player that's, I mean, you got to be able to develop players that aren't that athletic too. I mean, it, it can't, it's easy to develop a guy who's really good, you know, or a Without guy who's a really doubt. athletic, but it takes a little bit more time to like get that sixth guy to be good, you know? So, absolutely. Um, so I want to move into uh, really quickly. We touched on that earlier and sort of two things here. One is, what your experience was like at Pepperdine, you know, when you mm-hmm. became the head coach um, sure. and, and talk about that a little bit um, and how it was different, you competing at the MPSF and, and what was different about that, but also going into, because I know when you were at Pepperdine, you, you were still recruiting some community college kids and, and I think it's mm-hmm. tapered off just like I was when I was at Concordia, but you know, that lost, group of, of players, um, that we're not seeing continue on as much that I remember that, that I could think yeah. of. So what Absolutely. was your experience like at Pepperdine? You know, it was, it was a great experience. I, it was a home for me for over 20 years as a player, uh, as a coach, assistant coach. And then in 2006, I got an opportunity and, and it, you know, things, 
things just fell into place. Um, why do I say that? Because, you know, Alex Rodriguez was, you know, assistant coach with me from 2002 to 2005. Um, I see him as a mentor. I, I know he's a peer of mine. He was an ex-teammate of mine, but he's probably been the most influential mentor uh, coaching uh, in my life more than anybody else. Um, and he took a job over at Pomona and, and opened up, I think, a position that he was probably more geared and ready for at that moment in time to take after Terry when he took the national team job in 2006. Uh, so again, the, the stars aligned. It allowed me to, to fill into a position that I kind of went in. Uh, <laughs> I basically was just surviving. Um, didn't have a whole lot of head coaching experience at that time in 2006, but I knew, um, I knew that if I just stuck to the disciplines that Terry taught me, uh, that I learned from Alex, I learned from my playing career and the, the, the goods and the bads from all the coaches that I've had. I mean, uh, you know, we can, we can make something work here. And, you know, one thing I really focused on a lot was put the time in. You, you got to put the time in that nobody recognizes, or you got to put the time in that you're not going to be recognized for. Uh, with the recruiting side, you know, you know, again, Alex did a great job of recruiting back in 2002 through 2005 that gave an opportunity to have some good incoming guys like Cuco, like you said, Grant Miller, Matt McDonnell, uh, some, some Matt Diggs. Caleb, so Cable, Ham- Caleb Hamilton. Was Cable Hamilton. That. Yeah, Cable Hamilton, Uriel Villa. And we had some great players that come in through there. Uh, you know, it was a trial and error for me. It was exciting. It was stressful. Uh, and I failed a lot. I failed a lot as a, a mentor to, to athletes. I failed a lot to, you know, different strategies, different workout plans. Um, but, you know, come 2008, 2009, you know, these seniors really bought into the program and myself, and it gave me – a truly, a truly manifested, beautiful scene to be able to have a great team in 2008, uh, where we, you know, we lost to USC three to two, and we were up two to one with one minute and 48 seconds left yeah. against in the MPSF finals. I mean, that was one of the greatest coach, uh, games that I've been part of, uh, coached in, and uh, it'll always be uh, something in my, you know, my history that I'll always look back on. You know, hey, I lost to USC with. By two, by one goal with 148 left in the game. <laughs> yeah, and that was that automatic bid. Basically, you needed. It was to the win. automatic bid. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember those teams. And one thing that stands out in, in my mind, and you know, full disclosure, my my brother Ed is married to Adam Huco's sister, so I think that's nice. why I was focused in on Huco, and he went to Servite, and so I remember just watching him Player of the Year and all that kind of stuff. Um. I remember we went up there for a scrimmage, like a common training in the summertime. And I remember you and Adam had like a disagreement um, and it it really sort of reinforced and helped me to understand what you were talking about earlier about management of players and, yeah. and how you like, you really allowed the players to have a dialogue, a, a respectful dialogue and you mm-hmm. wanted their opinion. Is that something that you learned or is that just your demeanor? No, and am I, I right I, about that? Am I correct about it? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, it, and sometimes it's out of fault. It, it, it doesn't always work out the way you want it to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Terry, Terry allowed that. Terry allowed us to have a dialogue with him and express, you know, I said, I think I learned it through him. And also you got to have confidence within yourself and be willing to make a mistake. Uh, there's too many coaches out there. It's my way or the highway. Um, and it's it's going to turn, especially nowadays. I'm recognizing in high school, they're not going to want to play for you. Yeah. If, if it's a dictatorship, nobody wants to be involved in that. Uh, so now, 
Now, is there moments in the time where like, oh, I shouldn't have said that as a coach to my athlete or I shouldn't have let my athlete go to that far with the conversation? Absolutely. Or what did I say to trigger my athlete to say that or do that? Mm -hmm. um, hey, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to, you know, manage my words and my dialogue and, and my perspective on what's happening in that moment in time for this young athlete. Um, but you're right. I mean, I, again, I want to hear their point of view. I, I, there's a lot to learn from these kids. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, that was something that I definitely learned just watching on the pool deck. And a lot of my, a lot of the coaches that I've talked to have always said, Hey, I'd always go out and watch practices and things like that. I was doing that when we were doing those common trainings, you know, yeah. like with USC and yeah. UCLA and all, and, and you guys. So, um, so, uh, I know we're running out of time. I wanted to, dive into a couple more questions here sure. uh, before I let you go. Um, if you could change something in the world of water polo right now, what, what would that be? You know, I, I would definitely change the hidden agendas um, in FINA. I mean, from all the way to the top of the world, from FINA to Len, um, even in the U.S., even the college coaches, high school coaches, club coaches, all the hidden agendas that are only trying to prosper themselves versus what is actually the right thing to do at the moment in time for these athletes. Um, and, and again, that could be a, a laundry list of items, but at the same time, are we doing it for the betterment of the sport or are we only doing it to benefit our own agenda? So if we can figure that out, um, it would be great. The other thing is we already talked about the calendar. If we can change the calendar for the high school, the club, the international, it would, I truly believe, and again, I, I, this was not my idea. This is me just preaching what Dan has brought to in 2013 and other coaches are, have already agreed on. We've got to figure out a change to help not only the international level, the, the, you know, the, the professional level, but also our domestic water pool as well. You know, you look at this, this regional thing. It's a prime example. All right, this regional high school thing is yeah. a prime example of calendar. If we can change the calendar and allow us to actually have a state finals, Man, how sweet would that be? It would be it would be magnificent for our sport at the high school level to have a state finals. Yeah. But again, it's the calendar that's hurting us. Um, and then it's, I've been coaching girls water polo probably the last five seasons now, and really diving into you know what is wrong with the girls' sport right now. And my personal opinion, high school girls water polo has to. I mean, if I could have changed it, I would have changed it years ago. They've got to play with a 3.5 or 3.75 size ball. Mm. It's too big for these girls. Um, now, are the girls out there that are able to manage a four ball? Yes, in high school. But the majority, you look at the men's varsity, they all can manage a five ball. And the game is, is flu I mean, fluid. It's clean. They're passing. Well, the girls' game, I and mean, the best of the players out there are sometimes freshmen and sophomores that they're not fully developed in their hand. And they can't grip a four ball, and they're dropping the ball when they should be executing a, a play that they're able to execute. They just can't hold the ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm big on this. I'm yeah, I, haven't, so I actually haven't heard that 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 argument. It's, um, but it, I mean, it's definitely sparking a lot of questions for my, you know, possibly undersized play. I mean, we're not talking about the players like you said that are five ten. You know, they they have no problem. But um, some of the some of the smaller players definitely. You know, I mean. You know, it, it would definitely true. be an advantage. It's truly hurting it. I mean, I, I have this one girl, Gracie Hurst. She's she's a little tiny spitball, best player I've coached in girls, and she just can't grip the ball. Yeah. But she, if you give her a three ball, well, I mean, some of the things that she could do in the water is is like the best high school guy. I mean, being the strength, the movements, the skill set, it's just frustrating 
to me to watch her drop the ball. And yeah. it's not because she can't catch or she doesn't have good hands. The ball's too darn big. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Very good point. Um so who have been your uh who have been your biggest mentors and influences in coaching? I know you touched on a couple, but I'd, yeah. I'd love an opportunity for you to elaborate on that. You know, I've been so fortunate in my coaching my playing slash coaching career. I've been under seven uh, U.S. men's national team coaches. And I'm not saying under, I'm not just saying like being around them. I'm talking about being in the water, they're coaching me, or I'm on their coaching staff, seven. I mean, it's, it's very, I'm very blessed in that. I mean, I've yeah. been under Raka Rudish, played under him, played under Azevedo, played under Corso, played under Terry Schroeder, played under Vargas, Monty Mikowski, then coach with Dayon. I mean, I've had the opportunity to be around some amazing people in our sport. And then the other thing I, I've really... And I want to encourage young coaches and, and all coaches. It doesn't have to be young coaches. It could be coaches in 40 years old that are, you know, need some leverage. Is Marv Dunphy was uh, an icon, is an icon in men's volleyball. Uh, and I would go, he was a Pepperdine coach, and I would go watch him and see how he reacts and coaches his athletes. And, you know, absorb from great mentors in the sport arena, not just in water polo. And then, I, you know, I mentioned Alex Rodriguez being one of my top top mentors and uh, you know Jovan I got I really appreciate what Jovan did in 2012 when I was released from Pepperdine he gave me a chance without without a question I, I asked hey can I can I help be part of your program you don't have to pay me anything I just want to be embedded and learn and no hesitation absolutely um, so I want to thank him for that he was a great mentor and I've you know taken a lot of things from him and uh, good and bad and good and bad let's be realistic and yeah and it's really helped my where I am today and who I can be and what I want to be. Um, and then I, my latest, my latest one is I got to give a shout out to my AD Jan Hethcock. He he has been a, a an amazing spiritual leader in my life. Um, a guy that's understand. He's been a, one of the only ADs that I've ever had that actually came from a coaching background. All the other ADs are administrators that have no 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 career in coaching. Yeah makes a world of difference it makes a world of difference and he he really teaches us to humble ourselves for the kids it's about the kids it's about the kids it's about the kids um and i really am a, in a great place here with his leadership and his mentorship of jan hathcock that's awesome and i i've i haven't reached out to a rod yet but i definitely want him corso uh both of those guys and and some of the other ones that you mentioned I, i'd love to to speak with them too so if they're listening <laughs> All right, this is your invitation <laughs> right here, right now. So um, highly encourage that. Highly encourage that. Yeah. You know, I, I if there is there's a lot of guys that are capable of coaching the men's team in the future of our, you know, of US and without a doubt, I believe A Rod, Alex Rodriguez would be a a perfect fit for for in every in every way to carry the torch moving forward with the senior team. Just wow. throwing that out there. Yeah, no, that's that's awesome. I mean, I coached against him, and and we've had a really we've had a good relationship over the years. He's very humble, really, yeah. um, really calm demeanor, um, but he works super hard. I mean, he works really, really, really hard at yes, what he does. does. And I mean, it's not a it's not a coincidence that they're winning the Skyac, you know, year in year out. So, yeah. um, props to him. And players sure. players love him. Players respect him. Uh, and, and that is a huge component of being a senior team. You, yeah. You got it. These guys are going through so much and they need somebody to really 
really invest in like a father figure. Yeah. And he does a good job of that. So um, wrapping this up, how can someone get in touch with you? Um, you know, like if they have a yeah. question for you or, or anything like that, Twitter, I mean, Instagram. Tw- yeah. Twitter, Instagram. You can email me. Um, my emails, you can use the USA water pole one, the J Coker at USA dot org. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of coaches that, especially from this last ODP, reached out to me. Hey, can I do this? Can I watch that? Can I come to your practice? I, I have an open door policy. Uh, your athletes need some connections with colleges. You know, you want to come watch them practice. We had a, we had a coach last night from uh, that I met in holiday camp. Uh, he coaches his name, J.P. McCann, and he's from up in Seattle. He came and watched our practice last night and sat around and just absorbed whatever he wanted to absorb, whatever he wanted to get at practice. So my door is wide open. Um, you know, my advice for young coaches is first and foremost, we don't have enough. And I'm speaking for myself when I was a young coach, and even today, we don't have enough humbleness. We got to be more humble. We got to be willing to help each other. Uh, you know, you don't have any secrets. Don't think you have you the secret recipe. Uh, the, the game has been around for so long <laughs> that there's nothing new that can't happen. It's more about how you can make your athletes do what you're asking them to do. Um, and then put the time in that's not being recognized. You know, I think everybody we're guilty of, you know, young coaches and old coaches were guilty of doing things to just be recognized or, Hey, that guy works hard. Do the things that don't get you recognized or be willing to put the time in that, you know, is not going to be in the limelight. Well, I I definitely appreciate that. You know, the, the humility part of it is, is important, you know, like, and, talking to people, you know, like we're doing right now, there's some strong takeaways from, from that type of stuff, you know, and it's motivating too. When you're speaking with another coach that you respect, it's motivating and, um, it's, it's helpful. So, um, you know, Jack, we go, like I said, we go back quite a ways and, um, I've always had a ton of respect for you and everything that you've done. And, um, I, I just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on, on the program. And, and I just want to say thank you. Absolutely. I appreciate the time. And again, I, this platform that you're putting forth for all of us is, uh, I've listened to every single one. I can't wait to hear the more that you got going on in the background. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks again, Steve. Okay.